Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 192. When it comes to the sort of questions people typically have about a Royal Caribbean cruise, one of the biggest of them all is getting the lowest price on their vacation. The price we pay for the cruise fare is the single largest cost, and this week, I'm sharing five rules for getting the best possible price on a Royal Caribbean cruise. There is a tremendous value in cruising today, and with these ideas, you might be able to keep a few extra dollars in your wallet for spending on board. Here we go. Over the course of the year, I'll field a lot of questions about all aspects of a Royal Caribbean cruise. It's pretty natural. People have questions and concerns, and there's many different topics that they encompass, but boy, the number one question, the number one concern people have is about how to get the best possible price. And there's a variety of reasons for that, right? Number one, no one wants to overpay. Number two, people are on a budget. Not everyone has just limitless funds to spend on a cruise. And number three, they want to make sure they're getting the best possible deal that's out there. You really don't want to overpay for something. And you also want to make sure it's a great value for you and your family. And you know, there's there's a lot of strategies that are out there. But today we've got five of the, I'm going to call them almost rules, really top five rules of getting a great deal on your Royal Caribbean cruise. Because at the end of the day, a Royal Caribbean cruise is a great value. Uh, cruising has changed a lot in the last oh, couple of years, but it still remains an excellent value for a vacation when you consider how much is included in the, in the cruise experience. And really, your cruise fare is going to be the largest component of the total vacation budget, right? Between everything else you're going to be spending on board, whether it's airfare or especially restaurants or shore excursions, your cruise fare is the biggest price of it. So it's the biggest part of the equation when you're looking at can we afford a cruise or what's our options for what we can't afford. And this is what we're talking about here and, and targeting the five rules for getting the best possible price on your cruise fare. Number one, and I, I say this a lot, but it's absolutely true, use a travel agent. Travel agents are wealth of knowledge in terms of what Royal Caribbean offers, cruising, travel, and just good know-how in the in the travel industry. I will tell you that using a travel agent is something that I do every single time. It's not something I just talk about and then book it on my own or something like that. Nope. Every single time I use a travel agent, I think you should as well. There's a, a lot of reasons about Obviously, they're going to be able to help you with, you know, if you're new to Royal Caribbean or new to cruising or both, they can help you with understanding what Royal Caribbean offers and the differences between this and that and that. But more importantly, they're knowledgeable about the entire product. And when it comes to saving money, it can come in a variety of factors. Certainly, promotions that are out there are the biggest, right? Travel agents normally get a heads up about new promotions before anybody else. Also, they're keen on different discounts that are available. But that's the obvious ones. The non-obvious ones are other options you might not be thinking about. Certainly, I think many of us feel like we're fairly informed or trying to be informed about uh, our cruise experience. But a travel agent may be thinking of something you're not considering. And that's a really common mistake, something even I've done before, where I'm going into this with like, okay, we're going to book this ship. In this stateroom, or maybe this stateroom, but you know, I got something in my mind. I've got something lined up. And what happens is I reach out to my travel agent and they're like, yeah, you can do this or you could consider this different option. Maybe it's a different ship. Maybe it's a different sailing, like a different week. Uh, there, there's a variety of different uh, possibilities, but they might be keen in on something you're not aware of. As an example, the sailing I just said on Anthem of the Seas the I was originally going to go on Oasis of the Seas, as I mentioned, because it was it's very close to my house. But it ended up being with all the discounts available, Anthem of the Seas was significantly cheaper going out of going out of New York City. On top of that, one of my classic uh, travel agent stories was I remember for our honeymoon, 
the, one of the reasons we went on Royal Caribbean for the one of the first times it was my second Royal Caribbean cruise. But the reason we chose Royal Caribbean for our honeymoon was because we were looking at another cruise line for our honeymoon, and the traveler said, "Well, I can book that for you. It's no problem at all." Because we were kind of gunning for that, and they're like, "But did you know you could go on a, in a junior suite on Mariner of the Seas?" And you'll be able to not only get a much better room, you'll actually come out saving way more money. And we were like, oh, we didn't really think about that. So using a travel agent, it's it's about their knowledge, it's about their insight, and, of course, their ability to get you the best possible deal. I'm telling you, you should absolutely positively use a travel agent for any cruise you book because, quite honestly, they really are one of the best-kept secrets about cruising. A lot of people say, well, I can do it myself. Of course you can. Just because you can do it yourself doesn't necessarily mean it's a good idea to do it yourself. And I will tell you from experience, using a travel agent is definitely rule number one in getting the best possible deal on a cruise. Rule number two, book as early as you can. Now, this is very appropriate because as this episode comes out, Royal Caribbean just released its 2018-2019 itineraries, but it doesn't matter when this happens. You can apply this knowledge going forward. When Royal Caribbean releases itineraries, and basically that means that you know the new sailings become available to book, this is the best time to book a cruise because the pricing typically, the earlier you book it, is going to be the lowest. And this is a this is a not almost a phenomenon, but this is almost a a rule that occurs time and time and time again. Certainly, there are going to be promotions throughout the year. Royal Caribbean is constantly running different sales and booking incentives and a lot of other things in there. But I will tell you that when you're looking at the long term picture, if you want to come in with the lowest possible price. I would say a vast majority of the time, you're going to find it when you book as early as you can. Now, it's not possible for everybody to book a cruise two years away. I kind of understand that. There's a variety of factors. You've got vacation time off. You've got your own mind to make up about what you want to do. I mean, it's hard enough figuring out what you want to have for dinner that evening, let alone what kind of vacation you want to have in, in 18 months from now. But the earlier you can book it, the better. And what this is the strategy I always tell people is that what you want to do is if you have an inkling of an idea, let's say... There's a new ship coming online. As we'll use Symphony of the Seas as an example. Symphony of the Seas, of course, is going to be debuting in 2018. It's the going to be the fourth Oasis class ship for Royal Caribbean. A lot of excitement about it already, and we really don't know very much about the ship. Already. But that being said, you might hold some interest to you. You may say, "Ooh, a new ship, Matt! I would love to try out a new ship. Who doesn't want to try a new ship, right?" And but you're not quite sure about it, right? Because for the things I mentioned earlier, maybe you don't know what your vacation times look like, kids' school calendar. Uh, you know uh, what? What Aunt May is going to want you guys to do for for on that Sunday? I, there's a lot of things that are possible, right? But one of the best strategies I always recommend is you put a deposit down on a sailing that looks reasonable to you in terms of it's. There's a decent likelihood that you would be able to take a cruise then, right? So you figure out when spring break is, or you go over the summer, or whatever. It doesn't really matter. But you pick a sailing that looks decent. You pick a room that's of interest, and we'll go through this in a little bit here and some of the other rules, but you, you basically put a deposit down and you lock in that price. What that does is it buys you time to figure out if you really are going to go on that sailing or not. The only downside of the strategy, of course, is that you're you're putting money out there in terms of the deposit. And it's not usually a lot of money unless you're booking a suite, which has a little bit higher deposit requirements. But for most people, I think it's pretty reasonable for a balcony room to put $100 out there and lock in that price. And of course, with the deposit placed, you have up until final payment date to cancel with with no penalty involved. So you have so if we're booking this here in early 2017, you have until basically summer 2018 or or later depending on when you book your Symphony of the Sea sailing to cancel it. And that's a pretty good feeling because then you know that if you decide 
around December, right? Let's, let's fast forward to Christmas 2017. You realize, oh, we're not going to be able to go on that sailing. You can cancel it, no problem at all. Or, oh, yes, we can go on that sailing. Good news, Aunt May doesn't need us to come by for lunch that day. Now we definitely can go. You're going to probably notice that the pricing has gone up since then. And the last thing you want to do is run into this situation. This happens to so many people. It's happened to me before. Don't let it happen to you. You look at a cruise at some point, right? You're looking at Symphony of the Seas, and it's it's April 2017, and you look at the price. It's okay. That's the price. That seems reasonable. And then you fast forward a couple months or a couple weeks. doesn't matter when, but at some point later on, you actually decide, oh, I'm going to pull the trigger on that. You go back to book it, and what happened? The price went up. Whether it's 50 bucks or $500, the point is in the back of your mind, you're like, this isn't the best possible deal out there, and I know it. And then you start playing that game of, well, let me see if it goes down, and then I'll book it. And you know what? It's a game you don't want to play. So if you can, book it as early as you can. Put that deposit down. Again, those deposits are fully refundable. So there's not a whole lot of risk. It's just you've got to basically be okay with floating that money for the deposit. And again, for most folks, I think that's fairly reasonable. The other really good reason, not only for pricing uh, as a good reason to book it early, but also room availability. Quite often, a lot of times people say, well, I would love to take this cruise. The price is great, except that they don't have the kind of room I want, whether it's an ocean view balcony, whether it's a studio room, whether it's a suite, whether it's uh, a virtual balcony. I mean, there's a lot of different room types that are out there. Everyone's got different priorities. But the point is, is that you also don't want to be in a situation where you're compromising on your room. You're like, well, that's a good price, but uh, it's not really the room I want. And then you start saying, well, maybe this whole idea is not really going to work out. So the earlier you book, you get the best possible prices and the best room availability. So do that as early as you can. Rule number three, speaking of rooms, room location will save or cost you money depending on where you pick it. Now, you might think, well, if I pick pick a a balcony room, it's going to be the same price no matter what, right, Matt? No, actually not. It depends. The the location of your room will dictate, to some extent, the price. Not a huge amount. Don't get me wrong. But the rule of thumb is, generally speaking, the higher up on the ship your room is, the more you will pay. You also pay a little bit more for being in the middle of the ship versus either forward or aft. This is a generalized rule. It doesn't always apply, but it typically does. So as an example, if you want midship, right by one of the elevators at the top of the ship, it's probably going to cost you a few bucks more than if you took the same room forward, Right or the same room aft, or maybe even center exactly where you want it, but on deck four instead of deck 12, right? So these are considerations you want to uh, to take into account. Now, does the room location matter? That's, of course, the natural follow-up question. Should I care about it, Matt? Does it really matter? It can, and it might not. It's one of the, it's almost like food, right? Uh, one of the things I always tell people is food is such a, such a subjective topic, that it's so hard to handicap whether or not something is good or not because as I always tell people, you know, how many people in this world love broccoli and how many people in this world hate broccoli? What does that mean? Nothing, just that people have different tastes. Same is true for rooms and their location. I, I wouldn't even go as far to say that a room that is on a higher deck center is the best possible room. I just think it's more desirable for whatever reason. But again, I would be okay with rooms that are slightly forward or slightly aft. There is some truth to that you may experience a little bit more motion in the forward of the ship or a little more motion in the aft of the ship. Certainly, an undeniable truth about any room you book is the distance you're going to walk. If you have a room all the way at the end or all the way at the front of a ship, you're going to walk a little bit longer to get to and from anywhere. This is just natural. Now, is it a big deal? Well, on a Radiance-class ship or a Voyager-class ship? No, it's really not. I mean, it's you know, I don't know that you'd notice that much of a difference. But if you're talking about a Quantum-class ship or an Oasis-class ship, personally, I always 
roll my eyes when I realize I have to walk all the way forward or all the way back because it is kind of a hike on these larger ships. So, again, does that matter? It, it's, it's so subjective, right? And I mentioned earlier the motion thing. Some people feel it. Some people don't. It's And, of course, that's... Uh, subject to sea conditions. If you have perfect sea conditions, it'll be a negligible, negligible issue, and you can save a lot of money. Also, having a room all the way after, all the way forward, will give you a certainly unique view. So you kind of have to know yourself. And if you're new to cruising, you're saying, "Man, I've never taken a cruise before. I don't know what to do." Then maybe you should just opt for a room towards the center. I think, generally speaking, you know that that's a sound strategy. It wouldn't stop me from taking a cruise. I don't think it should stop you from taking a cruise either. If you find it a really good deal all the way forward or all the way aft or on a lower deck. The lower upper deck thing, that could not matter less to me. I don't I, I just don't see the real benefit to it. I understand that if you're on a higher deck you get a slightly better view in terms of you know you're higher up so you get a greater vantage point. I, I don't know that I really care. But that's me. And there are other people in here I am telling you right now are writing angry emails. Dear Matt, you are so wrong. Love the podcast. <laughs> you know, I mean it's you know that's a natural reaction. So my rea- if you're brand new to cruising I would cer- certainly lean towards the center of a room on the center of the ship, but it's not the end all be all. And certainly, if you can save a lot of money, and sometimes you really can by going a little bit forward or a little bit aft, maybe consider that as well. Rule number four if you live in the USA or Canada or in another country which has this rule I'm about to talk about, uh, you want to reprice your room with every new promotion. Now, there, some countries like the UK is the example, the one I always know about. There is a di- they have a different booking policy. Don't ask me why. There's some local laws on the books that make it work this way. But in the USA or Canada, and I believe Australia as well, if I'm not mistaken, as well as some other countries, I'm just not familiar with them all. Uh, they have the ability to cancel and reprice a cruise with no penalty. Now, as I mentioned earlier, prices come out all the time, right? New new sales come out all the time, and prices will change. Daily, even hourly, quite honestly. I mean, the price of your of your selling may change quite a bit. I'm not of the opinion that you need to be checking your price every day. There are some people who do that. I, I think it's probably a little bit overkill. But certainly, going back to rule number two, which is why I said earlier, book as early as you can. With rule number four, because you can always cancel with no penalty up until that final payment date, that gives you the peace of mind of knowing that when you book your cruise 18, 24 months in advance, that if... You know, four months after you book it, or a month after, or ten minutes after you book it, the price goes down. You can easily cancel and rebook. It's very simple to do. This is again why rule number one is so important. Use a travel agent; they make this so much easier. Doing this on your own, you can. It's just a, it's a, it's a hassle. Is what it is to do it on your own. I don't have time for it. I don't want to spend time on it. Even if, whether it's five minutes or fifty minutes, I just don't want to deal with it. I got other more exciting things to do, uh, or just more fun things to do. So. Uh, use a travel agent, but if you live in the U.S. or Canada or another country that allows no penalty cancellations, reprice, I would say, with every new promotion that comes out there. You can certainly do it more often. You can be one of those people who checks it every day. That's totally fine. It's up to you. You can check it every month. It really doesn't matter how often you do it, but it's probably a good idea periodically to do that. And certainly a good travel agent will check it for you, and I love when my travel agent sends me a text message on a day a new promotion comes out and goes, hey, check the prices. You've already got the best price possible, or repriced it for you and saved you whatever it is, $10, $100, $500. You never know, but it is a good strategy, though, to you know make sure you have the best possible price and keep checking back. And again, this is, I mentioned the travel agent. A, a good travel agent will make your life easier so you don't have to worry about all these kinds of things. And and I, that's why I think that certainly 
checking when new promotions come out is probably a good rule of thumb. The last rule is rule number five is you're committed to the sailing. You're getting close to final payment date. What you might want to do is check prices again just before final payment date. Certainly, your travel agent can help you with that. You know, in the day or two leading up to it. The reason being is a lot of people sometimes are very well lazy about canceling cruises they're not going to go on, and the final payment date is their impetus for like, oh, I should probably cancel that to make sure that you know I don't lose that deposit money and whatnot and everything. You know, they. They want to have that go forward with something else. So a lot of times you'll see cancellations right up to that final payment date, and that may do one of two things. It may lower the price, but more likely it may open up a room that you might be more interested in. Either way, it doesn't hurt to check again right before the final payment date. It's not a guarantee. It's not going to happen all the time, but it has happened in the past where you will see people cancel right before they absolutely have to cancel, and then you will see rooms come up there. So it might be a really good idea, again, if you're – you know, just checking again as rule number four was, of course, you know, repricing anyway, but make sure you make a point of right before final payment date to double check again, just to see that you have the best possible price. But, you know, with, with all these rules, I really feel like rule number one and rule number two are the best possible way to get the price, the best lowest price that's out there. And that is to book as early as you can and use a travel agent. Simple as that. If you do those two things, odds are you're going to get the best possible deal. It's just the way that Royal Caribbean operates. They want, Royal Caribbean wants people to book early. They don't want to have everyone book last minute. They don't want to, they want to have it spread out and they want people to be booking as early as they can so they can get account. They can count for it, right? They want to have their, they want to know that their, their, their chickens are hatched and whatever other metaphors you can think of about, you know, making sure that everything is right on their end. So the earlier you book, the more coverage you have essentially in that regard. Now, of course, the, the, question you may lead yourself to is what about last minute cruises Matt? what how does that work in terms of getting the best possible prices back in the day if you were to go back about five to ten years ago in your uh, customized uh, delorean uh, you would find that last minute cruises were very much a big part of the pricing strategy that was out there last minute cruise deals were an outgrowth of a weaker cruise industry this is you know september 11th obviously changed a lot of pricing here in the united states and around the world really we there was a softness after the uh, bubble burst the tech bubble burst and you know uh, some of the issues with the economic downturns that we've recently seen but in recent years that's all changed and cruising has become very very popular it was always popular just become even more popular and demand has never been higher for them for the product quite honestly so as a result, because the industry and Royal Caribbean especially knows that there's so much demand for their ships, they don't have to offer last-minute discounts because last-minute discounts were a way of essentially filling up ships. Uh, I mean, in terms of cruise ship economics 101, the way that you make money is the cruise fare is actually a, not a loss leader, but they don't make money on the cruise fare. It's everything else on top of that, but it requires the company to sail with full ships or nearly full ships in order to for that equation to actually work in terms of making money on board, in terms of onboard revenue. So uh, last minute sales were a way of doing that, but Royal Caribbean has really done away with it. In fact, in the last uh, year or so, Royal Caribbean implemented a price integrity policy, which basically says they're not going to drop the price after a certain point for last minute sales. So it it's it's one of those tough things to do if you want to do a last minute deal. It's not like it used to be. That being said, if you are interested in a last minute cruise, because as I mentioned when we talked about rule number two about booking as early as you can, some people just can't. It's just not possible. Your your line of work, uh, your kids. Your, your own personal schedules. There's a lot of reasons why you can't book a cruise that far in advance. Maybe it's money, right? It's easy for me to say you can drop a couple hundred dollars for a deposit, but for some people, that's just not possible. So if a last minute sale is just something you can, you're can you thinking about, and I've been there before. I forget all the things I just said. I sometimes book a last minute cruise just because I realize, oh, well, there's it's going to work out for me to be able to take a cruise now 
let's see what's going to work. So a couple things to keep in mind about last-minute cruises and getting a deal on them. And I'm using the word deal in air quotes, not that you can see it, but it, it can be relative. First of all, last-minute cruises, the best possible time for a last-minute cruise is really 60 to 90 days before the sale date. That's like that perfect time of to get a, a, a good price on it. I know that doesn't sound like a whole lot of last minute to me, you know, th- two to three months beforehand may not be quite that last minute for some people, but in when we're talking about 18 to 24 months ahead of time earlier, you know, two to three months is actually last minute. There are other obviously possibilities beyond the 60, 90 days, even closer in, but uh, once you get uh, past 60 days and within there, uh, you start to run into some other issues like getting a decent price on airfare and some other logistical issues there. But, uh, you know, looking at this window, number one, the first rule about last minute cruise deals, be flexible. You, there's, you're not going to get your perfect room. More than likely, you're not going to get your perfect room. It's not saying, not to say you can't, but you got to be flexible with your sale dates. You got to be flexible with the room you're going to get. And you got to be flexible with maybe even your dining assignments and some other things that are out there. Um, I, I think that it's something that it's not for everybody. And I, and for some folks who are very stringent, uh, I know that my, my uh, parents, as an example, when they go on a cruise, they have to stay in a room that's always in the same kind of spot, you know, high up on a middle deck and it's got to have this and this and this, and they're not willing to compromise on other things. And that's okay. Then last minute cruises aren't for them, but us, uh, you know, be flexible. Also, if you can avoid flying, not because there's anything wrong with flying, but because odds are when you're booking last minute cruises, you're going to find the last minute airfare, not so much a great deal. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be expensive, but oftentimes flying last minute or trying to book travel last minute can negate any savings you might find with a cruise deal that's out there. So certainly if you can drive to the cruise port or possibly if a train is less expensive for you or a bus, that might be a good option to consider, but you want to, you know, try to, if you're going to get a deal, the idea of a last minute sailing is to pot, get a good deal on it. You don't want to be getting a great deal on the price of your, of your cruise fare and then, you know, paying significantly more for the airfare. It may just end up being a wash and you say, well, I'm better off just waiting a couple more months and getting a good, good deal on both. So that can be certainly something to look forward to. Again, a travel agent can help you key in on some last-minute deals. Royal Caribbean does offer some occasional last-minute sales. They do offer resident discounts. If you live in the state of Florida, it's a great example. There are often sailings in the next 45 days or so that'll be discounted. If you And there are other states as well. It's kind of weird. We often think about Florida as the option, but and certainly Texas if you're going out of Galveston, uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico. But we've seen resident sales for states like Georgia, Connecticut, New York, uh, Wisconsin. I mean, they're all over the place. I don't ask me why or how they target these states, but they can exist. So certainly, asking your travel agent if there are any last minute deals. Sometimes there are last there are sailings that are targeted as, hey, we got to get these going. Sometimes it's ships. I remember when Empress of the Seas was joining rejoining the fleet before Cuba opened up, and Royal Caribbean was playing this game of when will we announce Cuba? And they didn't know, so they kept on keeping Empress really uh, unbooked. So as a result, they often had some really incentivized deals to go on there. So again, being a travel agent can queue in on all this kind of stuff. But I think the, the key is for, for last-minute deals is there to be flexible. But also, I would never, ever recommend anybody base their entire vacation idea around a last-minute sale. Do they exist? Do last-minute cruise deals, are they possible? They can be. But I think that there's too much risk, too much uh, variables involved that can totally mess it up. And you'll go from if you had booked it, you know, 18 months beforehand or 12 months beforehand, a a room that you really like on a ship sailing that you absolutely are perfect with versus a last minute sailing where I just feel like you're compromising 
in some regard. Not always the case. Not always the case. I'm, I, I hope I'm not painting this as last minute cruises are a something to be avoided. But there's a lot of compromise involved, or there can be a lot of compromise involved, and that's why I don't think it's the best possible thing. So if you're new to Royal Caribbean, if you're new to cruising, I would probably try to book as early as you can because it's just the best strategy, bar none, for getting the best possible deal. And again, I think these five rules plus these last-minute cruise rules, if you want to call them that, are going to help all of you get a best price out there. Of course, if you have an idea or a rule that you want to suggest, maybe these five are just the beginning. Maybe there's some other rules that you think are really pertinent to getting the best possible price. I would love to hear about it. Send me an email, uh, matt at royalcommandblog.com, so we can talk about it right over here on the podcast. It's time to dive into our email inbox and answer your Royal Caribbean questions, comments, thoughts, anything on your mind about Royal Caribbean. This is where we're going to be discussing it. And of course, if you're saying, oh, I'd love to be able to send Matt an email. Well, I would love for you to do that as well. Send me an email, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com, M-A-T-T at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Our first email this week comes to us from Joyce writes, I really want to take a cruise on adventure this season because I've heard so many positive comments about it. Is it docked in San Juan 24-7? I do not want to fly to San Juan, but I may not have a choice. Also, I enjoy your podcast and never miss one. Joyce, thank you for so much for the email. And you know what, Joyce? If I had answered your email earlier, like a couple weeks ago, I would have given you a vastly different answer. So this is my way, Joyce, of actually covering for taking a little longer than I probably would have liked to to answer this email. But I think you're going to like the answer. So... The answer used to be that San, uh, Adventure of the Seas was based in San Juan year-round for, like, forever. In fact, I think since the start of this podcast, that's been the case. But Royal Caribbean just announced for 2018 and 2019 itineraries that Adventure of the Seas will be moving to Cape Liberty, New Jersey. I have no idea where you live, Joyce, but perhaps that might be a little bit easier for you to get to. They'll be offering some sailings out of there in conjunction with, obviously, Anthem of the Sea sailing out of Cape Liberty, New Jersey. Uh, the other, if you're saying, well, what replace adventure down there? Freedom of the Seas is going to San Juan. So kind of an interesting change up there. That's what I love about uh, new itinerary deployments. It's, it's like Christmas and July 4th wrapped up into one for me, but that's because I'm a cruise nerd. So uh, your answer there is, if you want to go in the short term, Joyce, if you want to go like you know sometime later this year, yes, you'll have to go to San Juan, but... If you're interested in going on adventure out of New Jersey, well, you can go ahead and book a cruise for a couple, uh, about a year now, from now, and uh, take advantage of some of those rules we just talked about to get a great deal on one out of uh, going out of uh, Cape Liberty, New Jersey, and Bayonne. It's uh, I, again, I don't know where you live, but maybe that'll be a little better option for you. Next email, we have an email from Steve Rowe from Brisbane, Australia. I've got a few comments on episode 184 on the main dining, specifically related to special dietary needs. Hopefully, your listeners find this information useful. Firstly, I've heard you mention on a few podcast episodes about advising Royal Caribbean of any dietary requirements by sending an email to special underscore needs at rccl.com. Did you know there's actually a form on Royal Caribbean's website that allows guests to advise the cruise line of any special needs they have, not just dietary requirements, but also accessibility and medical needs? Um, and, of course, he posted the URL, and I'll post that in our show notes at realcommunblog.com. And, Steve, actually, I did not know that there was a form. I just used the email because I learned it that way, and I've just been going about it the whole way that time. But that's great to hear. I will check it on out. Uh, Steve also writes, my wife and I you have used this form to advise Royal Caribbean of dietary requirements. In our case, my wife's food allergy to shellfish, and for myself, that I need to bring a CPAP machine on board. Using this form, uh, the guests to ensure all relevant details Royal Caribbean requires to accommodate guest special needs are captured. In our experience, a Royal Caribbean staff member follows up with a confirmation email within a day or so to let us know that our needs have been recorded on our reservation. Secondly, I'd like to share our experience in relation to specialty dietary requirements from our recent sailing on Ovation of the Seas. We did a 15-night cruise in New Zealand and Sydney uh, on Ovation's inaugural cruise out of Sydney. During our sailing, we took the all-access tour, which included visiting one of the galleys that serves the four main dining rooms. We learned that 
provided sufficient notice is given, meals for guests with food allergies and intolerances can be prepared in a separate section of the galley to all the regular food. The chef who spoke with us said that they provided they that provided at least 24 hours notice is given. This special galley section can prepare meals, particularly for guests with conditions such as gluten intolerance or potentially life-threatening allergies such as shellfish or nuts. These are not necessarily special meals as such. In fact, any suitable dish from the regular nightly menu can be prepared in the separate area to allow for any modification to the recipe and to prevent any cross-contamination with allergens that might be present in other menu items. We also found that if a guest has a special dietary need such as food allergies, each evening in the main dining room, they can ask the head waiter to see that next night's menu and pre-order their meal for the next evening. The ability to pre-order and knowledge that food can be prepared in a separate area of the galley gives us some extra peace of mind that there's less chance of my wife's meal having accidentally come into contact with an allergen that could be potentially life-threatening. I don't know if other ships have the, in the fleet have similar arrangements in their galleys, but we were very impressed to learn that Ovation's galleys were designed that way. Thanks for the podcast. Like many of our listeners, it helps us with a weekly mental escape for our next cruise, in our case, Voyager of the Seas, from Singapore to Hong Kong in June 2017. Thanks much. Wow, Steve, great email. I appreciate this great information about special needs and dietary requests. And this is great info. Thank you for sharing it. I know that a lot of people have these kind of concerns about whether it's just, you know, a diet thing like, hey, I want to eat healthier or it is like a life-threatening aspect of their diet. As you mentioned earlier, this is great information. This goes back to something that I mentioned earlier. I mentioned on other podcasts, I should say, about one of the things you can do is talk to the head waiter on board the ship. Uh, again, the 24 hour notice thing is, is absolutely true. I've run this every single time, but I mean, I, as an example, I always request, you know, Indian curry cause I just like it. And I know they have it anyway, because it's usually a go-to vegetarian option. And that's an easy way to get something I want, but I know that I, you request on night one and starting day two going forward, they'll have it prepared for me. And certainly when you're talking about these allergy, uh, needs and, and everything, that's even better. And honestly, I had no idea that they had the, a special area to prepare it for, but this goes back to uh, the form you mentioned earlier, which I think is the there's probably two things you want to do, and you touched upon both of them, Steve, in your email. Number one, send an email to Royal Caribbean, uh, either special underscore needs at rccl.com, or you can use the form that's in the show notes there. Uh, and number two, I would do both, by the way. Send the form, and then number two is I would talk to the head waiter on board just to confirm everything. Uh, you know, it doesn't hurt to just say, hey, I just want to make sure that you guys have on my reservation that my wife has a shellfish allergy and, you know, we're all set for that. You know, you want to make sure all your all your ducks are lined up. There's no issues, no surprises later on. And I don't think that's uh, unreasonable to do that. So uh, it's great information, Steve. I really appreciate the email. Very good stuff. Our next email is from Karina from St. Louis who writes, Hi, I love the podcast. You do an awesome job. My question is, are there lockers and lobbies you can walk around, do the coaster, and explore without having to lug your beach supplies with you? Thanks. Karina, good news there are, actually. If you go near the... I only know of at least one set. There may be others, but at least by the zip line, there are some lockers over there. They cost around $8. They'll be charged your CPAS account, and basically, there's a code on there. You They give you the code, and then you're going to lock it later on. So it's not cheap. I mean, 8 bucks. I mean, that's like, you know, <laughs> that's like a lop doozy right there in a non-souvenir cup, but... You know, if you don't have any friends with you and you don't feel like going back to the ship that you'll leave all your stuff over there, hey, there's not really much other choice. So that might be a good idea. I would recommend also don't put anything really valuable in there. Certainly, you know, your sunscreen and some sunglasses and whatever, that's fine. But, you know, if you've got iPads or other electronics or, you know, things that are really expensive, probably probably good to leave them on board the ship. But, you know, if you just want to you're going to do like the, the coaster and you want to go for a quick ride and come on back. That might be a good option for you as well. So hopefully that answers your question there. 
Next, we have an email from John Bamberitz. When selling out of Port Canaveral, one must go through security and check in as normal. What about cruises that sail through Port Canaveral, like the ones that come in and leave with Canaveral being a stop on itinerary? Do they use a different terminal or gangway setup? Or to people getting off the ship that's sailing through, do they have to go the entire terminal? Or is there a gangway that goes directly to the ground, i.e. located at deck one, etc.? Great question, John. And I'm glad I answered this one here, too, because I was just on Anthem of the Season. We made a day stop in Port Canaveral. So you're absolutely right. If you're going on a cruise that leaves from Port Canaveral, like that's your embarkation port, you go through the whole security thing. Coming in, it's kind of subject to the load of the day. And uh, when we came in, we actually docked at Terminal 1. But grandeur of the seas was at a totally different terminal altogether. The the basic, when we came off the ship, off Anthem of the Seas, we actually were escorted to a point where we walked off, not through the embarkation gangway, you know, like the, the one that goes back and forth and brings you up on Deck 5. We were brought down to, like, Deck 2 and literally walked off the ship, like, where they probably load up the ship with, with suitcases on a normal embarkation day and walked on the pavement through the ground floor of the terminal and exited over there, kind of rejoined the terminal where you would pick up your luggage in, in Terminal 1. That being said, when we came back from the excursion, we went through the normal security line. I mean, why not? They already have a security line anyway, and it's easier for them to handle people's screenings in that building rather than in the uh, right when you get on board the ship. So, again, easy peasy, why not take advantage of that? And then we basically did a, they kind of took us on a beeline through the terminal back up onto the ship. But yes, going back on, it was largely similar to, if not identical to, the regular embarkation day process. But, you know, it, it was a lot quicker because we're not stopping along the way to check in and taking our photos. It was really just a kind of a beeline. But uh, it's, it is kind of interesting. Now, of course, if you're in a different terminal, depending on, you know, where you dock, the situation can be slightly different, but I think Rokerman generally tries to do their security check in the terminal rather than on board the ship, because again, the on board the ship can get backed up, then they get a line in the gangway, which they generally don't want to do, so it's easier to have that line occur, if it does occur at all, uh, back in the building over there. So, it's a good question, John. I'm glad for, uh, hopefully that answers your question there. I think it was kind of concise. <laughs> Next, we have AJ from Philadelphia. I saw a picture of Ovation of the Seas pulling into Sydney recently. Towards the back of the ship, in between some lifeboats at the back, I saw an enclosed glass structure with people walking around in it. With me never being on any quantum-class ships, I went to Rokerman's website on the deck plans for Ovation to research it. I found where the lifeboats are, but I could not find where the glass structure is. Do you have any? Do you or any of your listeners have any idea what this is? Thanks for your help. Love the show. I think, you're ta- AJ, you're talking about 270. If you're looking at the back of the ship and there is a rather large glass-enclosed area, you're generally talking about 270. This is the, um, how do I describe 270? It's the area in the aft of the ship. It's the large multi-purpose entertainment center, and it kind of exists on the back of the ship, uh, uh, and it provides literally a 270-degree view of the ocean. It can be covered up from times, but during the daytime, like when you're in port, there's no shows going on. There are typically not a lot of shows going on in there, and you can walk right up to the glass. You can take photos. You can sit there, and there's actually some very comfortable chairs to sit in front of and 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 see things, but I'm pretty sure that's what you're talking about there. Uh, you didn't mention a deck, but if you, I'm looking at a photo from my Anthem of the Sea sailing. You can see the lifeboats, and if you follow the lifeboats around towards the back where the lifeboats end, that's where 270 begins, and that's essentially what you're talking about there. There is a slight, so the uh, basically, if you go right to where the last lifeboat is and look immediately adjacent to it. There are there's a smaller piece of glass before you get to the larger part of the glass where that makes up the bulk of 270. I think don't forget 270 exists on two decks. So uh, deck five and 
I don't, it doesn't actually connect. I don't think it connects to deck six. But anyway, there's two decks of 270. You know what I mean? It's multi-story. Let's put it that way. And uh, if you're on the second deck, the, the balcony, if you will, uh, there is a little more uh, things to see. And there's also a, a card room in the back. I think they call it the library or something to that effect. And that's, I think, what you're seeing over there. But you're uh, looking at it now. I'm pretty sure you're looking at 270 is what you're talking about there. So... Yeah, there you go. I will, again, aspire to post a photo that you guys can reference so you can see exactly what I'm talking about. But, uh, AJ, I think that's what you're talking about, and I think we got an answer there. <laughs> All right, time for one more email. One more. Well, I'm on a good roll here of answering questions as well as I can. And let's go on to our next email. It is Alex in Monroe who writes, Matt, just started listening to your podcast a couple weeks ago, but have binged over probably 50 episodes to keep up the great work and interesting content. I'm going on my first cruise on Anthem of the Seas in May, but after listening to your show, I can't help but start playing my next one. I have a couple questions about the next cruise deal. When looking at my cruise, I know that I'll be spending money on the ship. We plan on going to Wonderland and are considering going to the spa, probably getting the wife a massage. So theoretically, we're spending $100 on Wonderland and $100 on the spa. It only makes sense to book through next cruise, put down a $200 deposit, and pay for these things with our onboard credit that we have we matched, right? We're already, we're already spending the money. We may as well uh, let it work for us as a deposit for the next one as well. I guess my big question is, what exactly can you book buy with the onboard credit? Would we be able to pay for it, especially restaurants? And if we can, are we still allowed to book our seating in advance and then pay later with the onboard credit? Great questions, Alex. This is a really good, uh, very deep question. Mm, deeper than some other questions I usually answer. But uh, let me put it this way. So when you go to the next cruise, you do have the option of taking your onboard credit now or deferring to the cruise you're booking. I generally, personally, Alec, this is not a right or wrong answer. This is just what I do. I generally defer my onboard credit primarily because the cruise I'm on, I've already budgeted for. I know in my mind how much I can afford. Certainly, you're going on the ship. You know that you want to go do Wonderland. You want to get your wife a, a massage, a massage. And that being said, you, I think probably being a responsible adult have figured out that you can afford such a thing even without this onboard credit but you're looking for a way to just make it cheaper for you in the short run so my logic is well you already you already budgeted for it so why not just put off that money that two hundred dollars in this in this case put it off towards that next sailing you're going to book and that way when you get on board there you got a nice prize there and something else you can you can budget for going forward and i i guess that's how I think about it. Now, is what you're thinking about wrong? Absolutely not. You could totally do that. And yes, you're going to put a positive money down anyway. You get it back as onboard credit. You spend it on there and bam, you're coming out. It's a, it's a, you know, not free, but you basically cancel each other out there and you've, you've saved some money on your total bill on this particular sailing. It's kind of like, you know, do you want your tax return at in April or do you want to, you know, take less with withholding so that way you get your money back in your check earlier on, right? It's like, do you want it now or do you want it later? And I prefer to have it later because I can budget for it later, but there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. Now, your other question was, would you be able to use onboard credit for booking specialty restaurants in advance? The answer to that is no. Anything you book on the cruise planner, so before your cruise, whether it's dining, massages, um, shore excursions, anything like that, when you book it on online before your cruise, you will pay for it at the time. In fact, when you get to the end of the booking, you'll be like, hey, what's your credit card information You know, to pay for this? Onboard booking, onboard credit can only be used for bookings or anything you spend on board the ship. So which, if you wanted to go ahead with this idea, Alec, what you have to do is not book the massage or Wonderland before your cruise. You'd have to get on board the ship and then go reserve both of those. Probably not a problem if you waited for, you know, if you went there on day one. If you tried to do it the last minute, you may run into some issues with timing. That's always the consideration with if you wait on board the ship to do this in that you're going to have to 
you'll have less availability because people who booked it before the cruise obviously already took up some spots. But there's going to be plenty of opportunity. I just wouldn't recommend waiting until like day four or something like that. But it's okay because what will happen is you go on day one. You spend you you book Wonderland, you book the spa. What's interesting is actually you won't get charged for them until you actually go to those experiences. So even though you say, okay, I want to book Wonderland, I want to book the spa, they're not going to charge you two hundred dollars at the time, like they would online. It's not until you actually go to the restaurant and go to the to the spa that you actually get charged for it. But that being said, let's say you book them both for day one, just for arguments, like for this, the logic I'm about to show you here. So you, you, day one, you're now down two hundred dollars, right? You go to next cruise on day four. And you go ahead with taking this $200 back in your from your deposit, and that'll basically go against your account, and you'll have a net of zero, so you have no other charges on there. Hope that made some sense there. So it's really just a matter of, do you want to pay for it now, or do you want to pay for it later? Personally, I pay for it later, Alec, but there's nothing wrong with taking it now, and a lot of people do it as well. Uh, there's uh, The only thing I can tell you is, if you take your onboard credit now, your deposit becomes non-refundable. I think it's pretty obvious, right? You can't take your onboard credit from your deposit from next cruise and then two months from now be like, you know what? I don't want to take that cruise anymore because then Royal Caribbean's out $200. They, they kind of fronted that money for you. So uh, that's another sort of incentive to maybe putting it off. But if you're feeling pretty confident about it, of course, uh, you know you don't have to worry about that. And the other option is even if you, you, you put the deposit down, right? You book the cruise, you take the money now, and in a couple months from now, you say, oh, you know what? That sailing we booked, not going to happen. Just whatever reason you can actually have Royal Caribbean change that reservation to another sailing some other sailing some other ship doesn't matter but some other sailing in the future and you keep that going so you don't lose out on that on that uh, on that deposit money does that make sense so you know if you book if you're originally going to book a Oasis of the Seas for 2018 in July and then you realize that's not going to happen you really want to end up taking Freedom of the Seas in November well then you just change the booking and it's okay your deposit carries through with next cruise and all that you're safe you're not losing out on your money so it's a good question, Alec. I know a lot of people go through that. And again, there's no right or wrong answer to take your your the next cruise onboard credit bonus on that sailing you book it on or defer it to the one you're actually booked at the time. It's you're just it's really personal preference, and I've I've seen it done both ways. And uh, there's again, it's either way will work. So, Alec, thank you for the email. Thank you everybody for these wonderful questions. Love talking roller coming eat with each and every one of you every week right here on the podcast and once again if you want to send me your email I would love to answer it here of course my email is matt m-a-t-t at royalcaribbeanblog.com matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com until next time I am Matt Hotchberg and we'll talk again soon